There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everybody knows what good treatment looks like because we've all given someone great treatment. Everyone has given someone VIP treatment. We've all met someone that we have bent over backwards to accommodate, to be kind to, to be a great listener. We've all, we've all done it. We do know when we're giving people the not great treatment because we're not giving other people that. And sometimes even for me, I have to think to myself, okay, why would I give that to that person and not that person? And more importantly, anything about them, what does that say about me? Welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, recovering perfectionist and author of the best-selling book and mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. This show explores how we can live the most free, wild, joyful, and flexible life possible. I interview world thought leaders across the fields of soul, science, psychology, medicine, and anything else that enriches the human experience to shift perspectives, create the life you want, and provide a much-needed pause from the busy world around us. If you listen to the show, please rate and comment as that truly helps, but let's get started. Oh, do I have a very special guest this week. It is Janelle Aldred, a long-term friend for 10 years. Broadcaster, newsreader, journalist, communications specialist, and now I'm very proud to say an author. For over 12 years, Janelle fronted the BBC, ITV and ITN content, and now she has written the book that we all need to read. It is so relevant for this moment in time. It's called Communicate for Change. It's a book that explores the missing nuance to our conversation in the public arena at this moment in time. It's a thought-provoking book that unpacks the tribalism we see in our culture and presents a new way forward, a far more harmonious way, a way that appreciates all individuals and a guidebook to how we get there. What is a quote you return to often and why? One of the quotes that I return to often, there's a few, but one of the ones is, if we wait until the moment when everything is ready, we will never begin. And I think that is just such a good quote to remind yourself of so many times because we can wait and wait for the circumstances to be right, but actually we never begin if we wait for that thing. So sometimes it's good just to start. God, it's such a good quote because as everybody probably knows listening to this, I'm a recovering perfectionist and that quote couldn't be more relevant because for someone like me, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just going to do another degree. I just need to do another course or like, I need to learn. <laughs> you don't. Oh, thank you for reminding us of that. What's a life lesson you've been uh, reminded of lately? Don't demonstrate B. It was career advice that I got when I was starting out at the BBC. And actually, 
it has just been so pertinent. I think sometimes, you know, you go into a new thing, like writing a book is like a new thing and being published and you can try and pretend to be like everybody else who's done it. So you demonstrate what you think an author is like, what, how they act, the things they say. And, you know, even in my career as a newsreader, you know, you demonstrate being what a newsreader should be like, but actually you are a newsreader. I was a newsreader. I didn't need to pretend to be one. I was one. And even like writing a book, I don't need to pretend to be an author. I am an author. And when you stop pretending to be something and just free yourself up to be the thing because you are it, you can be more of yourself doing that thing rather than put on version of someone else doing that thing, which can never be you and you can never reach your full potential in that space. Oh my God. Can you, can everyone just tell why I'm friends with Janelle? Literally. It's like, this is like one wisdom drop after the next, like whenever I'm having a crisis, it's Janelle who I call. And she kind of reminds me of things like that. Like stop pretending to be the person that you think you should be, just be you. And Oh God. Yes. Hallelujah to that message. <laughs> and this is why you're my friend. Cause I call you when I'm in a crisis. <laughs> How do you define happiness? I think happiness for me is about contentment. I wouldn't even say because happiness is so transient. And I think happiness is like a hard thing. Sometimes get your finger on what makes me happy because what made me happy a year ago doesn't make me happy today because I've changed. Life has changed. I'm different. So I think for me, happiness is when I can look around and just say, you know what, everything is not what I want it to be, but you know what, it's not what it used to be. And so this is a good space. And the other thing, actually, I would put my finger on happiness is sunsets. Sunsets make me happy. And I've just moved to a new place and the sun actually sets opposite my living room whenever there's sunshine. And I didn't know that was going to be the case when I moved there, but what a gift. And that is actually something that brings me happiness because I think nature is comforting in that the sun rises and sets every day, no matter what's going on it rises and sets. And so, you know, we will see another day. We'll be good. And that makes me happy. I love that. Thank you for that. So your book, it's filled with so many nuggets and it's such a breath of fresh air. Why did you want to write this book? You could have written about so many different subjects. You're such a wealth of like knowledge. And as I said, wisdom, why was it like this book? This is probably the book, they say you've got one book in you that you have to write. And probably this was that book, but I didn't even know it. I was going, um, coming back from a lecture about Meghan Markle. This is when her and Harry had just got married. And it was about racism in the UK and the media. And I just remember just thinking this conversation is just so divisive. It's so aggressive. Mm. People are really either like, she's a horrible person, like she's leading him away, or they were like, she's a good person. Everyone has been awful to her. And this is like really racist. And, and I do think there were definitely racial undertones to a lot of the press and the reporting. But even that was like a massively contested point and not just kind of like, I disagree, but like really strong, strong, strong arguments on both sides. It just really got me thinking about the way that people communicate about so many things a couple of those things could be true. Maybe she was leading Harry away and maybe she was a nice person and maybe sometimes she's not a nice person, but why is she not allowed to not be a nice person? Because most of us cannot be nice at certain points. Mm. And so I started thinking about the nuance behind a lot of these things that go on, but the way that people feel they have to pick a side and defend that side really vigorously, no matter what, 
even in the face of like contrary evidence. And it just got me thinking about so many social justice issues and being a journalist for 13 years, it just made me think about all the stories I've ever told, the life I've lived as a black woman in the UK. It just made me think about so many things about singular narratives and divisive comments. And yeah, the book just kind of came out of a tumbling mass of thoughts. Everything you just said there, it applies across our entire lives from sitting around the family dinner table when you have a family member, you know, saying something totally opposite to what you believe. And this quote that you write, I think, sums up something that is never discussed. The how do we handle disagreement? And you write so beautifully, our society has not yet reached a consensus of how to disagree well, and it's tearing us apart. And I think you also wrote, someone assumes you're a problem case if you don't share the same views as them. Now, please discuss this and unpack this more because I'm like, I read this as like, how have I not read a book yet about learning how to disagree well? We we are just not taught it. We're taught that people, if people disagree with you, they either don't like you or they're bad people. Like these are kind of the two frames. And like you say, growing up in families, what happens is most time we disagree, someone walks off in a huff. We don't often resolve it. So sometimes there's actually no resolution, but someone in the disagreement will have more power. So then they will get to decide the outcome. So it's not that you ever come to any kind of consensus, actually. Someone decides. But what happens in a society of more equals when we have a disagreement, where there's no one power who can say, well, that's it, this is it, and you all have to do this. And we just struggle with that. So it means that when we enter into these debates on social media, what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to change someone's mind. We're trying to be the person on top because no one wants to be like the weaker person. We all want to be the stronger person. So then what you see replicated is that is everyone like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And it's like this almost Jenga game of where we like build this massive tower and we're just pulling pieces out and it's massively unstable. And so I, I'm interested in how do we disagree well? You know, I remember growing up in RE class and hearing about rights and responsibilities when it comes to, you know, society. And I think we are very rights heavy at the moment and not responsibility heavy. So we think a lot about the things that we can and should be allowed to say, but we often don't think about the responsibility that comes with that to say whatever we want to say. So I think the main thing that's missing from a lot of these things is that actually Are people wanting to be right or do they want a solution? Because a lot of the arguments I see, actually, people want to be right and they're not arguing to a solution. And that's why the problems remain. Why do you think we are so fragile and have such a strong need to be, inverted commas, right? As I write about in the book, there's kind of all of these gaps. So there's the way that deep down you know you are. There's the way you want other people to see you. And then there's the way that other people do see you. Mm. And actually, most of us are protecting that gap between the way we want people to see us and who we know we are. You know, a little thing coming out of that Jenga tower could really topple people's idea of who you are. So this is why we'll see, for instance, let's say the media will say, I'm using the media loosely, but they will say, okay, well, everyone thinks that this is okay. Everyone thinks that green plants are good. 
you know, you don't think green plants are good. You think blue plants are good. You don't think green plants are good, but you know that they've told you everyone else thinks that. So you think, okay, I need to think what everyone else thinks, but I don't really think it. So you don't want to be exposed in your wrong think or wrong being, even though you don't actually think it. So we spend a lot of time doing these kind of mental somersaults, which makes us fragile because actually anything could uncover the quote unquote real us, which might be problematic or have the wrong kind of views. So, yeah, I think that's that's what we're protecting a lot of the time, I think. You talk about the responsibility the media has and actually the part it's played in creating so much division currently on what we're seeing. Obviously, you've been part of the media, as you said, for the last 13 years. I'd love to kind of dive in a bit deeper. Like, what do you think the media is doing that is so challenging for all of us right at the moment? So I think it's really interesting because I've written a clickbait headline and I bet maybe you have, but, you know, I've written a clickbait headline. Now, when I've written that headline, I'm not thinking about it as clickbait. I'm thinking what can get this the most hits. I'm not, I don't, wouldn't say that I necessarily have a bad intention for the alpaca or thing, whatever it is that you're writing about. I don't have any bad intention, but we know that it's a social media world. Analytics matter, clicks matter, it makes you relevant. It makes you money. It keeps you in a job. So when I'm writing a headline to make it more interesting, I'm not necessarily thinking about either end user or person the story's about, not necessarily. And so I would not say that I've ever done anything like that with malice, but I couldn't guarantee you that the person reading that headline who the story was about would think that I'm a good person for writing that headline about them. And I think this is where there's a bit of a disconnect between what's going on over there and the reality of what's going on over here. And the two don't really meet. And so I think the problem that the media has is that they don't have diverse enough leadership. So they're mainly getting certain kinds of perspectives who look at stories in certain kind of ways and therefore tell stories in certain kind of ways. And so I think that the biggest challenge the media has is to try and have newsrooms and leadership that reflect the public and that reflect the audience back to itself because even the way that I might write a clickbait headline will be a lot to do with who I am, the people I know, what I believe, what I think is true, because there's certain things I would never write because I don't believe them. So I think it's about newsrooms and people that are more connected to end user and also the people they're writing about. And that makes so much sense in terms of kind of like hidden blind spots, something you write about in the book and like hidden prejudices. Can you talk a bit about blind spots? Like, A, what are they? And in the book, you talk about kind of like different blind spots that we all have, but often not really willing to admit that we have blind spots. What are the most obvious ones that we all hold? I think the most obvious blind spots we all hold is just anyone who's not like you. What do you know about them? If I think about, okay, a group of people from, I don't know, Australia, how many Australians do I know? Not many. So any generalizations or thoughts I have about them are bound to be sweeping, very general about Australian people. When Australia is like a very big place and there's lots of different kinds of people, some of whom I'll have loads in common with, some nothing at all. But actually I can say, well, you know, those Australians, they like a drink. Do all Australian people like a drink? Because we've got walkabout here. Does that mean they all like drinking? It does not. But 
we, we take these generalizations and then we have these big blind spots. So where did I get that idea that all Australians like a drink? Where did that idea come from? I can't even tell you where that idea came from because it's a mix and blend of things I've seen in the media, things I've heard other people say, the walkabout bar, adverts about Australian culture, you know, the guy with the corks and his drinking a beer. That's where that comes from. But it's an absolute blind spot for me because I don't know enough about the people from Australia to make an informed decision about who and what they are but we do this all of the time and so if you said to someone okay well why are you scared of that group of young black men on the street how many black men do you know have you ever been mugged by a black man no 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 okay so where does this fear come from Mm -hmm. yes we've got the prehistoric and all of that stuff that goes on in our brain but really where does this fear come from that you would cross the road Mm -hmm. they haven't done anything to you they haven't even looked at you It's come from all of these messages that we're receiving all the time. And with the absence of knowing anyone like that, there's nothing to counteract that message. And that just gives us a real blind spot. To lead on from that, you write something I just thought was so spot on. The complete lack of white community leaders reveals an acceptance that not all white people think similarly. They are not a monolithic group. This level of nuance and complexity is not offered to other non-white communities in the UK. And like it speaks to my blind spot about kind of this idea of like, you know, some groups have more obvious leaders than others. Like I'd love to kind of like discuss that a bit further and how you kind of started like formulating your opinions upon that. So for years, um, you know, you always hear about, you know, when you speak to black community leaders, and it's interesting because my dad would have been seen like in Birmingham as like a black community leader. And so he is someone that the press would call upon when there was like some crime or, or something. Um, you know, my dad's never committed a crime as far as I know. And and actually, you know, where we lived and everything, it's actually quite far away. So to call upon someone to come and speak for a whole group of people when within that group there are communities so it's really interesting that if you if you say like think of a a white man like any white man you could think of like 10 things about a white man he could be a doctor he could be a surgeon he could be a businessman he could be a criminal he could be a robber he could be a lone wolf terrorist he could be many things very complex If you say, let's talk about like black culture, people are going to say words like urban, um, hip hop. People are going to think about estates. People are going to think about lack. People are going to think about diversity schemes and all of these things because actually they've made it one thing. So we talk Mm. about refugees. We talk about refugees. Well, within refugees, there are like loads of nationalities, loads of skills, loads of jobs, loads of people, children, teenagers, But actually, we're very good at grouping people. Mm. And because we group them, we make them anonymous, we make them monolithic. And so therefore, if you're homogenous and monolithic, one person could speak for all of you and say what you all think. (laughs) Whereas for if you you said that for a white man, well, let's get a white community leader on to come and talk about this specific thing. No one would ever say that. And in a newsroom, I've never heard anyone ever say we need to get a white community leader in to come and talk about this crime that happened today. Never happens. But when it's a black crime, let's get a black community leader in. Let's get someone from the Muslim community. Why? That person may have as little to do with the situation that's occurring as 
Joe Bloggs has when Joe Bloggs commits something down the road and you would never think to ask him. And so this has been, you know, on my mind probably for years and years because it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I get asking someone from that community, but to think that all black people share a lot in common with that particular black person or that particular thing doesn't make sense to me because black people are a very complex group of people with so many cultures, so many classes, different genders, and all of those things make a difference to how people understand and see the world. Again, it's just such a healthy conversation. And this, I think, leads on to this personal responsibility for us all to like not generalize. It's such a terrible human trait that we all do across so many things. And you write, we should stop pretending that the inability to accept change is always someone else's problem and never ours. How can we take more personal accountability? Because obviously there's one thing lobbying against the media to stop generalizing, to stop kind of like oversimplifying things. But how as individuals can we actually like be the change to like ensure that there is more nuance? I think the first thing anyone can do is look at the people you surround yourself with, look at your friendship groups. There's been a lot of talk about allyship in the last year and, you know, mm. standing with people and we love fighting for causes. We love it. But the truth is, if you look in your friendship group, do any of those people exist there? Do you see them as a project to be helped or do you see them as people who could be your friends, people who could actually help you, people who could give you advice? What does that look like to you? And it's only by knowing people that we come to understand them as complex. My sister, one of her good friends is um, Muslim. And up until she became her best friend, I didn't really know any Muslim people personally. Like I knew, you know, at school and, but not anyone kind of in our family, so to speak. And just understanding her, the next time I heard a news story about a terrorist and, and Islam, I thought differently because I know her, she follows that religion. She doesn't think that way. Without knowing someone, you can think, well, that's how they all think. Mm. But actually by knowing people and by relationship is the best way to understand the world better. People talk about internalized misogyny and racism and, and patriarchy. And I think that is true. So sometimes I might see a group of young black men and feel like, oh, and then I have to remember, no, 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 no. Do you know, you know, loads of black men and they're all fine. Like <laughs> nothing is happening to you. <laughs> Like you, you you can be okay. But I think it is about recognizing that all of these quote unquote wrong thoughts do live in us. So that when we try mm. to pretend like, no, no, I don't think like that. I just think everyone's the same. Mm, probably not true. And actually it's best to acknowledge that there is something in us. And this is why in a way I have a bit of a problem with unconscious bias, because mm. once you're conscious of it, it's not unconscious anymore. You just have a bias that you need to deal with. So I think it's about saying actually, I have biases and I want to be conscious of them because by being conscious of them, I can begin to deal with them, to begin to see the world differently and begin to actually look at the human being in front of me presented. Sometimes we might look at someone and say, oh, she was a bit aggressive or she was a this or she was, you just don't even know what that person's going through today. Hmm. You didn't even know that that quote unquote angry black woman has just not had a really bad day. Her husband's just left. Her boyfriend's dumped her. She's something, you know, you don't even know what someone is going through. Mm. We look at that white woman and say, oh, well, she didn't look at me. I bet it's because 
How do you know? You don't know that her boyfriend hasn't dumped her, that her husband hasn't left her today, that she hasn't Mm -hmm. lost her job today. And so I think it's more about how can we meet the individual in front of us? It's all Mm -hmm. well and good saying, we want to like let lots of refugees in, like and write to my MP. When they move on your road, how do you treat them? Mm -hmm. Do you even say hello to them? Do you even talk to them? And so I think it's about having that real understanding of the duality and nuance of us as human beings, that we have wrong thoughts, we think wrong things, we think right things, we do right things. We ourselves are complex, but when we allow ourselves that complexity, then we can allow other people that complexity. But if we won't even admit those things live in us, we can't face it and we can't let other people have it either. And generalizing, even for when we generalize for ourselves, can be so harmful for us as individuals. You have one bad relationship and suddenly you're like, oh, they're all going to be doomed. That overgeneralization, and in my book, I talk about automatic negative thoughts. They are so destructive in any capacity, whether it be the way that we are overgeneralizing an entire community or overgeneralizing our own thoughts. Exactly. And so I think it is about just taking each situation as it comes and just recognizing in yourself, like, you know what, that was a bit of a racist thought that I had. (laughs) And actually, you know, that was a wrong thought. And I have just like jumped to a massive conclusion there. And actually I recognize that I've done that. I don't think it's great, but I actually want to work on it. And it's not the, you know, the, ah, their compassion. It's like real compassion is extending kindness to someone. And and the thing that I write in the book is everybody knows what good treatment looks like. Yeah. Because we've all given someone great treatment. Everyone has given someone VIP treatment. We've all (laughs) met someone that we have bent over backwards to accommodate, to be kind to, to be a great listener. We've all, we've all done it. So we do know when we're giving people the not not great treatment because we're not giving other people that. And sometimes even for me, I have to think to myself, okay, why would I give that to that person and not that person? Mm. And more importantly, anything about them, what does that say about me? Why would I be over and above accommodating to that person and not accommodate that person for the exact same thing? And to recognize that we just need to be honest about that when we see it and especially if we are in positions of power, teaching, law, you know, health, anything like that. Those are, I think, are the most spaces where as well, we need to really look inside and say, do I treat everybody the same? Yes. But challenging. <laughs> it's really challenging. And it's just, I, to me, this feels like, I think there are so many people afraid afraid of saying the wrong thing because cancel culture has become so rife I would just love your thoughts on cancel culture and for anyone who is becoming so afraid of wokeism inverted commas if I can say that what are your thoughts on wokeism and cancel culture and where is it becoming dangerous and what is the path for it to be helpful and not a hindrance wokeism to me is not actually the issue if we think about what or how the term woke started, how I first heard the term woke, it was about being awake to injustice. Nothing wrong with being awake to injustice. I think where it becomes an interesting phenomenon is when that actually then tries to stop other people from having a say, because Mm. actually this is where kind of rights collide. I'm a believer in freedom of speech but like I said, I'm a believer in responsibility. Cancel culture, to me, some of it is 
people being called out for things that they've said. It's just such an interesting thing because to me, if you go on Twitter and say something and then someone comes back to you and says, no, 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 that's not right. Or, you know, you're not right. This is where it comes down to, we don't know how to disagree. Someone should be able to say, I don't agree with that. But the problem with the way that things are often called out is it can be quite strong. Some might say aggressive. Some might say goes too far. And this is why I think we need to have more of a conversation about how do I disagree respectfully? Because Mm. I should be allowed to say that I do disagree because sometimes I might have all the information that you have and I've just come to a different conclusion. The problem is, it's that people often feel like, well, no one should say that but then you want to be able to say what you want to say. So we have to come to this balance where it's no one can say, you can't speak, but I can speak. I can speak and you can speak as long as we all speak the right things, because who gets to decide what are the right things? Who gets to decide, you know, what is out of bounds? Now, for me, what is out of bounds is promoting violence, is promoting anything that is going to harm someone. But even if we look at what people say is harming them right now, I think even that would be contentious about what people say that is harmful. You know, we've talked about, and I've talked about mother work, you know, I lost a child when I was 19. So someone talking about child loss could be very triggering for me, but the person saying it might not know. They, they might be talking about something completely not knowing that that is an issue for me. So if I get happy with them and say, well, you're triggering me and like, you're a bad person because you've made me upset and you've made me cry when that person had no idea that that was a thing for me. I think this is what happens when it gets to a place where I say anything that triggers me or upsets me means that you're wrong, bad. Yes, it's been unpleasant to me. Yes, it's been hurtful to me. Intent and impact are not always the same thing. And I think people need to query if their ideology is actually shutting down conversation where it could be had, where it could be helpful, because then your ideology might be being a hindrance to you rather than helping you to help someone else understand that there's an injustice there. So for me, where do these things stop becoming helpful when it means that we're not getting to a solution? So what are some kind of like practical tips? You either someone you're having a conversation with someone, you know, or maybe someone you don't know, and you can feel yourself shutting down. You can feel yourself getting a bit angry, like listening to this, like in your point of view, like complete, like bullshit point of view, saying things that you like fiercely don't agree with. How do you stop yourself from like not getting heated and dropping a few F-bombs and walking off? How do you turn that conversation into a moment of like learning and I guess like reconciliation? Like, do you have any like practical tips? I think number one, remember no one ever wins an argument. So love that. <laughs> so it's so that's like the first like thing that's not going to get you anywhere. And number two, I think remember that the way you see the world is not necessarily the way the world is. It's mm. you see the world as you so I see the world through a lens of a black you know middle class woman straight you know so that's the way I see the world so some things that I will not understand because I just cannot I cannot see the world as a man I can't imagine what it's like to to be a man so I will always look at things through the lens of 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 my own identity and then I think the third thing is to Try to understand. So when I say woke and you say woke, are we actually even talking about the same thing? Because a lot of these arguments, people are not even arguing about the same thing. They're arguing about two different things. So when I say wokeism and you say wokeism, what do you mean? 
what do you understand by that? This is what I understand by that. And this is what I'm actually talking about. And I think a lot of the time when we even just do that, you will soon begin to see that actually you and someone may not be on as different a page. And I think just both people having respect in that moment. So this is what I mean. Oh, okay. That's what you mean. Right. We're talking about different things. I still disagree though. I think it's that ability to say, okay, well, if we could change this thing and make it better, what would we both want to do about that? And to try and see more, where can we come together? And I think it's not bad to disagree. I don't think disagreement is bad. And I'm not saying we shouldn't disagree. But I think there needs to be an understanding that we can disagree well, but many of us have the same aim, which is a better world. Such good points. One of your quotes, which I enjoyed, is sometimes we have to be willing to be misunderstood after all. To change often begins with a little chaos. I would love to talk about almost like having the confidence, I guess, to be misunderstood. Like you may have an alternative point of view, but actually because we're so concerned about being wrong we then don't express it like how can you kind of like evolve your confidence or get I guess to to be willing to be misunderstood I mean I'm so nervous about this book because I feel like oh my gosh people could really misunderstand this or they could misunderstand that but in the end I think have confidence that the world is richer because we're not the same Mm. That is the beauty of life is that we are different. You know, I'm not someone who wants color blindness. You know, I am a black woman and I, and I enjoy my black culture. And actually I feel like the world would miss um, the richness of it all. If this wasn't part of the, of the culture and the tapestry that makes up life. And so I think it is just about knowing that difference is what makes us better. And diversity of thought is a real thing if we will allow it to be. But as most people know, it's like, you know, when someone, you know, someone says everything, everyone all right with that. And then one person says, oh, actually. And then someone else says, oh, actually, yeah, me too. Mm. I think it's about knowing that as different as we are, there are other people who will see many things in a similar way to you. But how will anyone know if no one has the courage to stand up and say, hey, this is what I actually think about this. And, you know, I know that some of my viewpoints may not be popular, but I also know that I have friends. And when I speak to them, I'm like, you know, this, and they're like, I think that too. Do you know anyone else who thinks of this? Actually, I do, because Mm -hmm. I share my ideas. And so I think it's knowing that you can become more of yourself when you are free to be misunderstood. And you will also find other people who agree with you and who want to come alongside you and to kind of walk with you in your view and I think when we're not so concerned about being popular, (laughs) we will become happier. But I think um, that concern does hamstring us and even me. So it's not that I think it's easy, but I think as with all things, confidence is a muscle and you have to work it for it to get stronger. Oh, this has just been such a brilliant chat. And I always enjoy talking to you so much because you always present another view that I haven't been thinking Um, Where can people find you and how can people get their hands on this brilliant book? And are you going to be doing any talks on the book that people can follow? So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm at Janelle Aldred everywhere because I'm like one of two Janelle Aldreds in the world. So I always get that handle, which is great because the one's a 60 year old woman, Janelle Aldred by marriage. I know this because I found her on Facebook anyway. (laughs) um, And so, and 
the book is on in all bookstores so it's communicate for change creating justice in a world of bias and there will be more talks and I hope to put them up on my website if I ever get organized enough but if not my Instagram I think of my Twitter are the places where I put most where I'm going to be Fab. and we'll put uh, the links to Janelle's social channels underneath and if you have any questions and of course like a link to her book Janelle thank you so much for joining us today I've loved being with you thank you for having me thank you for listening it would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating subscribing and sharing this podcast I also would love to hear from you so please find me at poppy jamie on instagram dm me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss download happy not perfect my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes it's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs sending lots of love and energy see you next time hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.